Um, so when I was a kid, um, I wanted to grow up really badly, like really bad I wanted to grow up. Um, and I was always looking forward to the next big milestone in my life. And for a long time, I really, really wanted to be 10 years old for a long time. That was like the age to be. I wanted to be 10 really bad. As a nine-year-old, I thought that 10 was like the perfect age. I don't know why that was. Um, I think it was because all of my favorite cartoon characters were 10 years old, or so I thought. Uh, Timmy Turner, Jimmy Neutron, SpongeBob SquarePants. Um, why I wanted to be like a talking sponge who worked at a fast food restaurant, I don't really know. But as a nine-year-old, that sounded amazing. I wanted to do that so bad. So the day finally came. It was my 10th birthday. And I was all excited about it. I was going to be 10, just like SpongeBob SquarePants. And I was super pumped for it. And I turned 10. And I finally realized that being 10 years old was exactly the same as being nine years old. There was no difference. Everything was the same about my life. And I was really, really disappointed by that fact. So then I started looking forward to the next big milestone in my life, the next step to growing up. No, not turning 16 and getting to drive. It wasn't turning 18 and getting to go to college and all that stuff. It was wearing medium-sized clothes. I was actually excited for this. I'm not kidding. And I convinced myself that I would be taller than my parents, so I had to start buying a size above them. So I started buying a bunch of mediums, and let me tell you, I grew up, and now I just have a bunch of oversized jackets and t-shirts because I'm not a size medium. I'm a size small and extra small. Uh, so that did not happen. And that was even more disappointing than turning 10. It was really disappointing for me. But nowadays, I don't really look forward to growing up all that much. Um, in fact, I try to look for ways to not grow older now. Last week, we were having a board game night with our elementary kids, and we were playing Uno, and this fifth grade girl, she looks at me and she like starts making weird faces at me, and I go, what, what is there something on my face or what's going on? She goes, you have a white hair on your head. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean white hair? There's no way. And, I, and I'm embarrassed to say, I actually asked this poor kid to pluck it out for me because I was so bothered by it. So she plucks it out, and sure enough, it was a white hair in my head, which really bothered me because this wasn't a one-time instance because the night before that, we went bowling with the young adult ministry, and I was sitting down, and a young adult behind me goes, you have a white hair in your head. And I was like, what? No, there's no way. Pluck it out. And they plucked it out, and it was a white hair. Um, so that's just for me to tell you that taking care of your kids is giving me gray hair really early. <laughs> I feel really bad for some of you parents that have to live with your kids all week because, wow, oh, my gosh. Um, but we all grow older, whether we like it or not. It's just a part of life. We get wrinkles, our hair grays, things start to ache. But... Everyone grows old. You don't have a choice in that. You're going to grow old. But not everyone grows up. That is to say, not everyone matures. Have you ever known someone that you just can't help but think, you're way too old to be acting like that. Like, what are you doing? You're too old for that. And this is even true of Christians. 
that there are Christians who have been in church for a very long time, but they lack maturity. They lack spiritual maturity. You look at them and you go, you've been in church way too long to be living like that. Like, have you, you come to this church, have you heard Pastor Mark preach? How do you go here and you're okay living like that? And that's not a knock, it's just, he preaches the truth. And if you're not doing something about it, it's, uh, you're not growing up. It's like they get stuck. It's like they hit a roadblock. Why is that? Immaturity. There are a lot of spiritually immature Christians, and we need to choose to grow up and not just grow old. Stop hanging out in the shallow end of the pool, and you got to get a little deeper. I'm not saying you're not saved. I am saying that we need to grow up because the shallow is more dangerous than the deep. There is a danger to being an immature Christian. You get stuck in old ways. You get stuck in sin. And even worse, you're at risk of falling away from faith and taking others down with you. We don't want to be like that. We don't want our immaturity to be a foothold for the enemy. Colossians 1, 28 through 29 says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Maturity isn't a question. It's a must for us. It's by grace alone and through faith that we are saved. Nothing else to it. But we never stop maturing. We never stop growing in the Lord. Tonight, I want to look at a major roadblock to becoming spiritually mature. In fact, there were some Christians in the first century church that actually dealt with this. And if you have your Bibles, you're going to want to turn to Hebrews 5. We're going to be in there for a bit tonight. Um, and we're going to start at verse 11. So Hebrews 5:11. This is what it says. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. So this is like when the teacher comes in the classroom and goes, I am really disappointed. That last test you took, have I even been teaching you anything this entire time? It's like when your spouse walks in and they go, really? We've been over this before. Do you not know how to load the dishwasher right? He is not happy, the writer of Hebrews. He is saying that you guys should know this stuff by now, but we're going over the same things again and again, these elementary things. And he goes on and says, you need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. These believers are babies. They're stuck on the bottle and aren't ready for solid food. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Mature Christians know right and wrong. They know when sin is sin in their lives, and they don't entertain it. And it goes on in chapter 6. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. 
Now tonight, we don't have time to go over what each one of those that he just listed are. We don't have time to explain all these elementary things. That's a different message for a different time. But God permitting, we're going to be taken forward to maturity tonight. Something that we need to understand about the book of Hebrews when we're reading it is that the writer of Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians. So these are Jewish Christians that he's writing to, people that follow the law, but now follow Jesus under the new covenant. And because it was written, and just because it was written for a certain people at a certain time, that does not mean it's not for us also. The principles of the Bible are timeless and for everyone. But the writer here is frustrated that these Christians know what it means to follow Jesus. And presumably, they've even been saved for a little while. But they can't seem to mature in their faith. They're still stuck on the basics. The maturity of their faith is lacking. In fact, the writer even calls them babies. That's a playground insult if ever I've heard one. Have you ever, I hear it all the time in the kids' ministry. You're a baby. You're being a baby. And kids are like, how could you say that about me? But that's what the writer is doing here. He's saying they're babies. If you read the entire book of Hebrews, you can see that even though they now follow Jesus, these Christians that he's writing to, these people are tempted to go back to Jewish tradition, back to things they did under the law. So through all of Hebrews, this writer is explaining to them what they already know, that Jesus is greater than the prophets, Jesus is greater than the angels, he's greater than Moses and Joshua, he's greater than all the priests, he's greater than the tabernacle's ministry, he's greater than the old covenant, he's greater than the system of sacrifices to atone for sin that they had come out of. He's greater than all that. But they can't let go of their immature ways. They're babies that still need milk. They're not mature enough for solid food. In the following verses after that passage we just read, the writer warns them that they're actually in danger of falling away from their faith. And those that have already done so, that have fallen away from their faith, are crucifying Jesus all over again for their sin. Now, there are a lot of ways we can discuss about maturing and growing your faith. In fact, a couple weeks ago on Wednesday night, AJ did an awesome job talking about just that and how we need to please the Lord. And a big part of that is by growing your faith through the word. A baby without proper nourishment doesn't grow. And without the word, you can't grow. So there are many that never grow up because they're starving themselves. A mature Christian concerns themselves with how they can please the Lord. They go and they ask, how does God say to be a husband? How does God say to be a wife? How does God say to live as a child? How does God say to operate at my workplace, in my dating relationship? And they live by it once they know. What pleases the Lord should be the ultimate, unquestioned decider of how we live our lives. But instead of retreading ground tonight, I want to build on that and point out a potential roadblock to maturing your faith. And just like these Christians in Hebrews, if you want to mature, you need to let go of the old way of doing things. There are attitudes, beliefs, feelings, addictions, sin that we harbor that we need to let go 
if we want to progress in our faith. And I know it. I get it. It's hard to look in a mirror and admit that you've got to pop some zits. But we got to pop some zits. There are some things that we got to take care of. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. It's time to put away childish things. We need to grow up. During the rest of our time together, I want us all to subject ourselves to a search and ask the Holy Spirit to point out any areas of immaturity in our lives. In fact, let this be your prayer for tonight. And I'm going to read from Psalm 139. And it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Let's let that be our prayer for the rest of the night as we go in and we look at what the Word has to say about putting away the old. And if you're a new believer tonight and you're still learning the elementary things, just hang out with us for a bit. But know that we all need to do this at some point in our relationship with the Lord. So I'm going to kind of divide this in a few different ways. We're going to into sections so it's a little easier to follow. Um, but the first thing I want to talk about is freedom, not suppression. Something that all humans seem to struggle with is the feeling of nostalgia, have you ever experienced this before, nostalgia? Those feelings that you get when you think of what your favorite restaurant growing up used to taste like before they changed the menu. You know what I'm talking about? They change it, it's not as good anymore, you just miss it. Um, for me, it's Taco Bell. And uh, it's, it used to taste way better, it just did. I don't know, I liked it better back then. It still tastes amazing, I'm not gonna lie, I really like it. Um, I'm showing my age or lack thereof by saying that. But that's nostalgia. Soda, when they used real sugar, that's nostalgia. You think back on that time. Um, maybe for you, it's gas-guzzling muscle cars and football Hall of Famers in their prime. I don't know what it is for you. Um, maybe it's that memory of when you were a kid and you were in the back seat on a road trip on a summer evening with the window rolled down and the radio playing and you're going somewhere and you're excited and it's vacation with your family. Nostalgia. I don't know what's nostalgic for you, just pick something. For me, it's a warm summer afternoon, windows open, watching Star Wars for the first time with my dad. That's something I feel nostalgic about. I get chills just thinking about it. That seems goofy, but I'm nostalgic about it. Even kids suffer from nostalgia. I've heard 13-year-olds go, man, I miss the original Fortnite map. I miss that. Those were the days. Well, you mean like three years ago? What are you talking about? But they're nostalgic for it. They feel nostalgia. Nostalgia, though, often tricks us into thinking things were much better than they were. And it makes it difficult to move forward into the new. Sin is a lot like that. We trick ourselves into thinking what we do is not that bad. And sin makes it difficult for us to mature and move into the new. You can't keep looking back at your sin. That's like a monkey that tries to grab a new branch, but never takes their hand off the old branch. They're not going anywhere. Nothing's happening. They're not moving forward. Most people suppress their nostalgia. But very few go, I want to move on. 
I don't want to yearn for those old things anymore. That's why, at some point, you probably gave up on the old muscle car that you really wanted to drive that was gorgeous and beautiful because you had kids and you can't afford it now and you need a minivan for the kids. You suppressed that nostalgia. That desire is still there for it, but it's been pushed down. And something I see taught a lot in churches, and I've been guilty of this, is sin suppression. It's to suppress sin. It's okay, this is what this sounds like. It's okay that you don't want to forgive them. You just forgive them when you're ready. Unforgiveness is a sin. The word is clear about that. It's not, oh, it's not gossip. I'm just making sure others know about it. I'm just communicating with my community. That's not right. That's suppressing the issue. Lust. You just got to wean yourself from that for right now. You have desires and it's not hurting anymore, anyone. So just, you know, you just do your thing as long as it doesn't bother other people. That's suppression. You don't need to tithe 10%. You just do little by little as you feel led. That's not right. That's suppression. Uh, complaining, backbiting, division in the church. We got to, and this is what it often sounds like, we got to hold them accountable. They're not doing right. And I'm just airing my grievances. When in reality, they're airing their preferences and they're just upset that they didn't get their way. All that does is teach people to justify and become callous to their sin. Sin suppression is not what we're after. We want freedom from sin. Freedom. We want to be transformed, changed, made new. Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That does not sound anything like suppressing sin, does it? That sounds like a new thing. When you transform something, the old is gone. It's not there anymore. If we want freedom from our sin to be transformed, it's going to take the help of the Holy Spirit and some intentional work on our part. And just so we're clear, when I talk about freedom from sin, I don't mean forgiveness of our sin or freedom from the consequence of sin. If you're born again, and you've made Jesus Lord of your life, that's taken care of. What we can't allow is for sin to continue to have a permanent spot in our lives. We're to be fully mature in Christ, but we can't do that hanging on to sin, to the old ways. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Here we see in this verse, he's saying, you know this, you were taught this, take off the old self, put on the new. Why aren't you mature yet? You're holding on to some old stuff. If you've got a date, and you want to make a good impression, or you're celebrating a special anniversary, so you're going somewhere nice or whatever it is you're doing, you probably want to look good and you want to smell good, right? So what do you do? You put on your best shirt. You put on your best dress. Maybe you take a shower. You put on some perfume, right? That makes sense. 
You don't wear your old, sweaty gym clothes. You don't go to the laundry basket and you do the smell test to make sure it still smells okay. You got to take off the old and put on the new. It's the reason why it can be so hard. The reason why it can be so hard is because the old way, the sin is either something that is enjoyable to us or it's something that's become a habit to us. We can't have any of that in our lives anymore. Sin and the new self are incompatible. James 1.21 tells us, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. I mentioned nostalgia earlier, and I've known Christians who act as if they're nostalgic about the way they used to live, about their old life. And I, this is kind of what it sounds like, and maybe this is a bit of an exaggeration, uh, but I've heard it said like this, before I gave my life to Christ, to the Lord, me and my buddies would grab some beers with our fake IDs and try to hook up with some girls underneath the bleachers. Man, those days were different. I don't know why I chose that voice. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> No, that's moral filth. You have to stop going back to that place, even if it's just nostalgic reminiscing. Those were not better times. If you're a follower of Christ and you still look back to your sin and are still living in it, and you've got one foot planted in the past, then you're a baby. I'm not saying you're not saved. God has grace and mercy on you, and it's grace through faith alone that we're saved. But you're not ready for solid food. It's keeping you from maturing. There's some growing up that needs to happen. And if that offends you, you may need a pacifier and a diaper change. Sorry, I've said too much. I'm not going to go on with that. So how can we actually take off the old and put on the new? I'm going to give you three things. The first one. Don't sin. Okay, that's not very helpful. Why don't we change that? One, decide. Paul said it best, Romans 7, 15 through 20. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me who does it. Wow, that's a tongue twister. That is a confusing one to read. Here's what I want you to see, though. This is why I read it. Because even the Apostle Paul said that when it comes to sin, it's hard to do what we want to do. We may have the best of intentions to stop, but it's hard to do it. We need to be active in putting off the old self and not putting it back on. When the Holy Spirit points something out that needs out, either through the word or a message or someone close to us tells us, we need to take attention and do something about it. Taking off the old self is a commitment. It is an intentional choice we make. Most people will not grow to maturity because they never intended to. They never chose to do it. 
And a lot of the times it sounds like this. Well, if my husband were a better spiritual leader, if my wife didn't nag me, maybe I would want to change. I don't have time. My kids take up all my time. I have too much time. I'm way too busy. No, you're as close to God as you want to be. And we need to decide. I'm tired of the immaturity, the worry, the fear, the guilt, the shame. I want a life of peace, joy, abundance. I want the Lord to be pleased with me. That's maturity. I'm not saying it's easy. It can be extremely difficult, and it comes at a cost. But you need to ask yourself, do you want to grow? Do you want freedom? Are you willing to put down some old things? So the first one, decide. The second one, ask the Holy Spirit. A couple Sundays ago, Pastor Jonathan preached on how we need the Holy Spirit. And he referenced this verse, Galatians 5, 16 through 17, which says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. What we need to do is walk by the Spirit. We need to let Him take an active part in our lives. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live for Christ, to not give in to the desires of the flesh. So here's what you need to do. Ask the Holy Spirit for help. We talked about it earlier. Ask the Holy Spirit to search us, to convict us, to tell us when we're not doing right. Ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom. Holy Spirit, what is the wise thing to do about this? Is there a sin in my life? Is there a situation I need to remove myself from? Holy Spirit, is there something I should do so that I don't put myself in a position of sin? Ask the Holy Spirit for strength in your weakness, in the moment of temptation. Ask for the fruits of the Spirit. That's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So there's a Holy Spirit song, Fruits of the Spirit. Anyways, it's a kid's ministry thing, all right? Um, The Holy Spirit, ask him, I need peace right now. I need self-control. How much trouble would some of us stay out of if we just had some self-control? You have access to self-control through the Holy Spirit. You need to ask him for help. If you want to remove the roadblock of sin to maturity, you need to ask the Holy Spirit for help putting off the old self. So the first thing, decide. The second thing, ask the Holy Spirit. The third thing and the final thing, have faith. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time tonight. And something I want to say about faith is I'm really thankful that we have a pastor that preaches biblical faith. In the past decade or so that I've been part of this church, my understanding of what it means to have faith has grown so much. And because of that, my faith has grown. And through faith, I've seen the Lord do so much in my life. But what does faith have to do with freedom from sin? Remember earlier when I said to put away childish things? There's one thing you can keep. That's childlike faith. Something fun about preaching to kids is that they just believe what you say. 
It's awesome. If we talk about laying on of hands, the same service, you'll see a group of kids laying hands and just believing God is going to work and do something in the service. We need that. We need to have faith and just believe that there is freedom from our sins. Jesus had a lot to say about faith. There was one time in particular, and I love this story, where Jesus and the disciples are on a boat when a storm rolls in, the scary kind, the kind, the I'm going to die kind. And the disciples, they panic and find Jesus, who is in the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. He's taking his Sunday afternoon nap. I don't know. He was preaching real good. They wake Jesus and ask him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? That sounds a lot like a lot of us. Lord, don't you care what I'm going through? Don't you care where I'm at? Aren't you going to do something? Aren't you going to help? Worry, worry, worry. And that's sin, by the way. And I can tell you this, I struggle a lot with this one. Jesus told us, Matthew 6, 25, do not worry about your life. And that's a command, not a suggestion. And you can have freedom from worry. Doesn't mean, now what I'm not saying is that you walk out to a car, to your car Monday morning and it won't start and you have that moment of panic, how am I gonna get to work? And it's straight to hell for you because you worried for a moment. But what I am saying is that when we live in a state of worry, that's a state where we don't trust the Lord. And we can have freedom from worry in times of trouble. All right, back to the story. I just want to get that in there because that's something I know I struggle with a lot. But they go, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Really, Jesus? No faith? Ouch. That's rough. I followed you onto this boat. That's got to count for something. The disciples had seen what Jesus could do. They had followed him around and seen his ministry. Yet, they were still scared of a storm. There was an immaturity in them, a lack of faith. I don't know about you, but I'm glad it's not just me. That the disciples also struggled with this too. Because I can at least say I'm in good company if the disciples had a hard time with this. There was another time where the disciples had tried to heal a sick boy that was demon-possessed. And after Jesus cast out the demon, the disciples asked him, Lord, why couldn't we cast it out? Why weren't we able to do what you did? And he replied, because you have so little faith. We're getting somewhere. We went from no faith to little faith. It's got to count for something, right? It's not great. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you, for you. They knew what the Lord was capable of, but their faith was so little. There are some of us that have known the Lord for way too long and know what he can do and have seen him do it in our lives, but we don't believe him for freedom from our sin. We don't believe him 
for freedom from our addiction. We don't believe him for freedom for lo- of lust. We don't believe for freedom of gossip, worry. And too often, instead of turning to the one that can actually transform and renew our minds, we turn to other things. We convince ourselves that we can stop if we want to. This isn't a big deal. We try to suppress our sin, even distract ourselves from facing the fact that we have a problem. That's called escapism, by the way. And it's become an issue in our culture. Instead of dealing with the problem at hand, we sit down and we watch a TV show. We scroll through social media. Instead of facing the issue and turning to God about it, we distract ourselves. We'd rather just not think about it, so we distract our mind. Imagine if during the storm, when Jesus was asleep, Peter got on Facebook and updated his status. Probably going to die. This is the worst. Here's a minion meme. If Matthew found a good podcast to distract himself with, if John turned on the football game and grabbed a beer because he didn't want to think about it and he wanted to relax, don't try to escape the fact that change needs to happen or distract yourself from it. You've got Jesus in your boat. Turn to him. The Lord can give you freedom. When healing two blind men, Jesus said this, according to your faith, let it be done to you. What is your faith like? What is the maturity of your faith? Do you believe that there is freedom from sin? Really? Not just intellectually. Do you really believe it? Freedom from addiction. Freedom from worry. Freedom from lust. Freedom from unforgiveness. Are you always going to get it right when it comes to sin? No, you're not. The flesh is difficult to overcome. I mean, how do you overcome desires that are your own? I can tell you how I do it with a God that is infinitely stronger than the weakness of my flesh. And even when I mess up, I take comfort in the fact that my God calls me dead to my flesh and alive in Christ because of the grace he's shown me. It's time to have faith for greater things. And that includes freedom from sin. When I was a kid, we went on vacation to Wisconsin Dells one time and I, and it was a hotel and on the bottom floor there was a big pool, it was a cool one, there was water slides and stuff and I just wanted to stay in the shallow end. I was too scared to dive deep, I didn't know how to swim so I just wanted to stay in the shallow and my dad, he was trying to convince me, he was trying to go, get me to go in the water. I was scared to go in the deep side because in the past he threatened to just throw me in the water so I'd learn to swim um, by uh, trial by error, trial by fire kind of thing and I was like, Mm-mm, you're not getting me in the deep, I'm not riding that water slide and he wanted me to go down so bad so he goes, all right, hey, I'll buy you that new video game you've been wanting if you go down that water slide. And I remember it so well. It was Looney Tunes back in action on the PlayStation 2. I don't know, it stuck with me. And I went, nah, I'm not doing it. You can't get me to go down the water slide. I'm not going the deep, I'm gonna drown. And after a while longer, he goes, okay, what about this? What if I'm at the end of the slide 
and I catch you so you don't drown. I thought about it. Okay, I'll do that. That sounds good to me. Went down the water slide. Dad caught me. I needed to put away some childish things and grow up. I needed to get out of the shallow. Now, I wish I could tell you I became an awesome swimmer and I loved the deep end and I helped other kids get over their water slide fear. I did not. But you need to know that your heavenly father is there in the deep end waiting to catch you. He won't let you drown. You may think your sin has a stronghold on you, that it's been too long, that this is just the way it is. You may think to yourself, let's stay safe and comfortable in the shallow end where I can't drown, where I can't get hurt. I'm comfortable with this. This is good. This is how it is. You may think that if you quit that thing or if you start doing that thing for the Lord, that somehow life is going to get worse for you. No. The Lord is waiting there for you to take the plunge. There may be areas you're too scared to grow in. You may think to yourself, I can't start giving. What if I don't have enough to support my family? I can't forgive them. They took too much from me. I can't give up having a drink, you know? It's the only way I can relax after a long day. You can trust him. It's so much better when you go all in. He can calm a storm with just his words. Peace. Be still. Now, I hope you don't feel condemned by this message. That was not the goal. But what I want to do is to encourage you to grow. Not talking about perfection, talking about maturity. We're saved by grace through faith alone. It's all grace. But we can't live the same old life. This is a foundational teaching for us. It's an elementary thing. So let's take off the old, put off the sin, and let's put on the new and go forward in maturity. Let me pray for you.